Welcome to the Empowered Curiosity Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Kat Lee. I'm here to explore the ideas, stories, and experiences that dig deep into what it means to be an empowered and curious human. Together, we'll connect over emotional alchemy, conscious relationships, and embodiment medicine. On this podcast, I'll be sharing tools, techniques, and wisdom about coming back home to the truest version of yourself. And welcome to episode one of the Empowered Curiosity Podcast. I am your host, Kat Lee, and I can't believe that this is actually happening. I've been dreaming about this podcast for years now, and I don't know if you can hear the smile in my voice right now, but I'm just so excited over the magic that we're going to co-create together. So I wanted to share a little bit on this first episode about the format of the podcast, a little bit about me, and then we'll go straight into some juicy material, okay? So the format of the podcast is a little bit different because every time I sat down to think about what I wanted to bring to the table, the one word that kept coming back up over and over again was community. And for me... I wanted to make sure that in cultivating community, you are part of the conversation. And that means that all of these podcast episodes are recorded live and you are invited to join us. And so if you'd like to check out the menu of upcoming episodes that we're going to record, you can just go to my website, www.empoweredcuriosity.com, and you can sign up for the Zoom link and you'll be sent a Zoom link just automatically and you get to join us. I record every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and then some Sundays as well. So you'll be able to check that out. A little bit about me. So the silver lining with the coronavirus and this period of physical isolation has been that it's really distilled down what exactly it is that I want to share with the world. And so I wrote down some things in my journal and I think I I thought I'd just read them out to you. And so you get a sense of what my intentions are and what my values are all about. I believe that healing is a deep remembrance of who you are and recognizing that you are not broken. I believe that the body, mind, and soul are interconnected and responsive to each other and respond best to a holistic approach where all the parts of you are acknowledged. I believe in leaving room for magic, for slowing down to allow your intuition and truth to rise to the surface, for finding validation through being rather than doing, for flowing through life being actively receptive rather than grasping. And then I believe that my role as teacher, coach, community leader, and acupuncturist is to hold the mirror and share tools and techniques that lead you back to the clarity of your own heart and your own autonomy to make choices that are best for you and your body and your spirit. So I wrote that as like a love letter to my future clients and to my community in my journal. And that's actually been what the foundation of this podcast has been all about. And so if all of that sounds really nourishing to you, then we are going to have so much fun together. 
for our first episode, I wanted to connect with you in a solo podcast. I have so many amazing guests lined up and I can't wait to share them with you. But for this first one, I really just wanted to like be one-on-one with you. So every time I record an intro for these podcasts, I'm just going to give you a bit of an overview of what we're going to go over and these, you know, takeaway bullet points. So if you walk away just grasping three or four things from this episode, this is what I want you to understand. This episode is going to be about digesting emotional alchemy, and so it's specifically about digesting small and big T trauma, and so this falls under the emotional alchemy umbrella, and we're going to go over what the difference is between small T and big T trauma. We're also going to have a discussion on how trauma is really disruptive to our sense of order, and it feels really chaotic and really threatening to be in really uh, difficult, challenging experiences. And we'll see how many of our behaviors that come up in the aftermath of a challenging experience is really a coping mechanism for us to try and create some sense of order. And then we'll have a chance to chat about digesting and sorting and integrating and letting go of our traumatic experiences. And for that, I'm going to call on three of my favorite acupuncture points. And I know that you aren't going to be able to needle them yourself with with an acupuncture needle, but what you can do is you can use these points as an anchoring space for your meditation practice. Or I'll help you find them. Um, We'll go through point location in the podcast itself. And you can use them as um, acupressure points. So you can apply pressure to these points and activate them in that way. And one last thing before I dive into this juicy material is I have a goal that I set for myself this month. And that is... This is the first month of the Empowered Curiosity podcast, and my goal is to get 10 patrons on Patreon to support this project. Support can look as little as $3 a month, and I just want to be super clear that this podcast is free. It will always be free, but supporting me on Patreon means that I get to make bringing you this valuable content via this podcast my full-time job, and so it's really a win-win sort of situation. I do have a lot of goodies that I have planned for the Patreon community, and that's sort of going to be an evolving process, and and. Right off the top of my head, I know I've got some really lovely grounding guided meditations, and if we ever do any journaling practices on the podcast here, I'll be making up PDF sheets so that you can follow along at home, and yeah, you'll find all that information on empoweredcuriosity.com forward slash podcast, and Without further ado, I am so excited to share this very first episode with you. I hope that you enjoy it and find it valuable. I want to 
wanted to talk about emotional alchemy today because it's something that I really talk a lot about in my platform and my newsletter, but I haven't really done like a super deep dive into what that actually means and why it feels like such an important part of people's healing journeys. And so I define emotional alchemy as the transformation of an emotion in its purest form and then integrating that into um, a part of your story. And so making sure that it is something that is a part of your life rather than something that we're shying away from. So what does it look like when someone's emotions are not alchemized? And what I really see is uh, in my clinical practice and also just in my community at Empowered Curiosity is there are um, events and circumstances and challenges that are really, really difficult to integrate um, for a lot of different reasons. And so that can be what, um, what I call big T trauma. So some examples of that would be, you know, miscarriage and rape and death of a close um, relative or a divorce, um, circumstances where you actually feel like there's a threat to your life, you know, people who have lived through war, uh, physical or sexual abuse, um, catastrophic events, accident, things like this, where you actually, um, your sympathetic nervous system gets turned on in a really acute and um, sudden sort of way. Um, it's kind of obvious when somebody is dealing with not being able to integrate those circumstances, right? Like I think of um, a dog who's been abused and how, you know, every time they see somebody who's got a hat on um, because their abuser used to wear a hat, like they shy away from that person or they hear loud noises and they sort of scurry um, and sort of hunch into themselves. Um, but... I also want to acknowledge that not everybody has these big T trauma moments. Um, sometimes we have these small T traumas where um, it can be more of a circumstance where you're chronically not having your needs met. Um, maybe you're being told disparaging messages. Um, you have conflicts that leave you feeling hopeless. Um, there's some chronic financial struggle, uh, chronic financial struggles, uh, there's feelings of scarcity, overwork, emotional abuse. These all can manifest in really similar ways. And the thing that is sort of common to all of them is that there's a level of hypervigilance. So again, that sympathetic nervous system, and we'll talk really deeply about the sympathetic um, and parasympathetic nervous systems in a second. Um, but that hypervigilance, your sympathetic nervous system gets turned on. There's also a craving, like a deep soul craving for order and um, also a deep soul craving for safety. Um, and so as creatures, we are all sort of seeking ways to feel safe. And um, a lot of times when I work with clients, we get fixated on the how, but the how is going to look really, really different for everybody, right? And so I like this idea and this, um, this concept of emotional alchemy because what it does is it, it asks you the question what and why before we get to the how. And so what I mean by that is, is if you're working with um, 
you know, somebody comes in and, you know, you might be feeling anxious or depressed or, or you're starting to see, you know, signs of like OCD coming up instead of focusing on the symptomology, like the heart palpitations and the insomnia and, um, the, the pervading thoughts that sort of come with anxiety and depression. If we just focus on that, then we're just sort of treating the branch of the situation rather than the root of the situation. And what I find is more helpful is when we are able to sink into the story. And so, again, it's about what is my story? What exactly is this emotion? And why do I feel this way? We get a more nuanced idea of what's happening for that particular person. And so um, it's one of my pet peeves is when we move too, too quickly um, from I'm struggling in this particular way and we move too quickly from that place to the how, because that's the place where we, um, we see a lot of these, um, you know, top 10 tips to lose weight or top 10 ways to keep your boyfriend's attention. And that's not necessarily helpful because it takes away the individual sovereignty of the person, um, who's actually in deep suffering and it takes away the story of the the human who's who's actually suffering and um <clears throat> one of the things that i love about chinese medicine is that it really takes a nuanced approach to patients we're really asked to come up with um or really listen to the individual person and 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 to not treat everybody the same so not everybody who comes with with comes in with a migraine is going to get the same treatment protocol right um so i think when we're working with emotions it is just as important to not just walk away with like oh for you know this particular set of symptoms if you're having heart palpitations and, and headaches then you know let's throw this just this pill at it and and everybody gets the same treatment i don't think that that's not um i don't think that that's as helpful as as taking an individualized look at what's going on. So, why do we not address our traumas is um, a big block, right? Because I find that when it comes to these traumas, whether it is these big T's or these little T traumas, um, it comes with the belief of not wanting to show weakness. Um, oftentimes we uh, say people are strong if they're able to keep their emotions in check. We say that they're really tough. Um, a lot of folks tell me that they don't want to be a burden to other people, to their family members, and so they'll just sort of keep all their emotions inside. Um, they don't want to be seen as overdramatic, and particularly with um, small T traumas, I see this where it's like they'll folks will feel almost guilty about having uh, having emotions around things because it's like oh like they'll they'll compare their suffering to somebody who's had um you know sexual abuse or who's been through war and um, they'll like they'll say things like oh but i haven't you know it's not like i've been through something super traumatic it's just that you know i've had this chronic thing that's been going on in my life um and oftentimes these um 
small T traumas get overlooked by therapists. And so I have a new coaching client last week um, who signed on and um, she's been telling me that she's been to a lot of different therapists over the years and been through a lot of counseling over the years. And it's like, because she doesn't have a specific event or a thing that she's, you know, um, suffering from, but she just sort of has this like uh, underlying sense of anxiety. It's so easy for therapists to see that she's doing better and particularly because she's a good student, like she does all the homework and um, she's telling me that as soon as she starts to feel like there's some traction going and there's some momentum going towards her healing, they will um, uh, release, the, release her from their practice because they're like, oh, you're better now. And it's like, no, like I'm just starting to feel a little better. Um, and to have somebody hold your hand through that process is really um, important. Uh, so how we all have these moments in our lives where it's hard to integrate, where it is um, maybe something that's really scary to look at, and how we choose to interact with that trauma, whether it is a small T trauma or a big T trauma, um, is really an opportunity. And I was listening to Eckhart Tolle earlier this week and something that he uh, shared that I think is, is really validating is that um, challenges pose an opportunity for learning and it's not a guarantee. And so I like that because it's really an opening. There's a spaciousness that comes with challenges if you choose to see it that way. And, um, and traumas can disrupt our sense of, of order. And the opposite of that can look like chaos. And again, this is an Eckhart analogy, but um, the way he describes it is, if there is um, a beautiful tapestry, and there is, you know, maybe within that weaving a hole that that particular artist missed, that hole can be, um, a whole, an emptiness, or it can be seen as spaciousness, and it really depends on the the eye of the person viewing the tapestry. Traumas have a tendency to disrupt our sense of order and chaos, um, and then we see our psyche really trying to create order again. And if something bad has happened to you or something that I guess not necessarily bad I should rephrase it as if something that your mind perceives as being a negative experience if that happens then um, your mind feels like it can't be at peace until you've really figured out how to avoid having that experience replay itself again in the future and so when that happens, then our sympathetic nervous system gets turned on. Um, our sympathetic nervous system is the part of our nervous system that was wired to help us escape danger. And so it's often called the fight or flight mode. And what happens in that mode is that um, we, um, our body is so focused on survival that it sends a lot of blood circulation up to the head um, and it sends a lot of blood circulation up to the heart and lungs. 
And so a lot of that blood circulation that goes up to the head is prioritized there because your body is thinking, oh, I've got a problem solve my way through this. And then a lot of blood circulation goes to the heart and lungs um, because then your body is thinking, I might have to get ready for action at some point. And so I'm going to make sure that my heart and lungs are ready to move. Which means that a lot of our energy gets sort of stuck in this like above the diaphragm sort of space in our bodies. And so um, this is why so many people, um, and, I, and I really noticed this when I moved to um, Vancouver. It, um, I moved from a, a fairly rural part of, of California, like sort of beach town community um, to what I would consider a big city. And I just, I walk around and I see people living from like, like upper um, body space where so much of their energy is floating in, like in the head, lungs, chest area. And, um, and so the reason why that happens is, is your body's really trying to um, uh, be hypervigilant. It's really trying to um, scan your environment for potential danger so that the quote-unquote negative experience doesn't happen to you again. And, um, and then your ego also starts playing games with you, right? Um, in this attempt to try to restore um, order into the chaotic aspect of your life. And um, in my clinical practice, I work mostly with fertility patients. And I see this all the time with fertility patients well, where they try to interject um, a lot of order into the chaos of fertili uh, their fertility journey. And, um, and I, when I talk to patients, like they, they have this idea of like, if I just, um, check off everything on this to-do list, like A through Z, then I'm going to get pregnant or I'm going to get pregnant before this arbitrary date. And, um, it's really, when I hear statements like that, I really feel so deeply um, drawn into their story because it's like, okay, so I hear that you're really wanting to create some structure and order, and how can we do that in a way that um, feels like there's a bit of receptivity still in the process instead of grasping at, um, at just the result, right? And I can feel myself doing this right now. At the time of this recording, we are still in physical isolation because of the coronavirus. I'm not quite sure um, where we're going to be at when uh, um, when this releases in early June. But I find myself being like, you know, I'm fixating on the fact that things are going to be normal by June. And I really don't have any idea if that's necessarily true or not and instead of accepting the situation as it is right here in the now I'm sort of I find my I catch myself sort of projecting myself in the future and being like okay so then that's when I will be you know happy and grounded and contented and and not really just sitting with the uncomfortable feeling of, of what's going on right now so um, even as somebody who teaches this stuff, um, 
I too have to like go through the muck and mud um, a lot of the time. So we talked a bit about the sympathetic nervous system, but um, on the flip side of that is the parasympathetic nervous system, which is um, another way to phrase it is the rest and digest mode. I think that's how a lot of folks um, really characterize it. And in, in the fertility world, it's also the feed and breed mode. And the reason why this is so important is that when we are in rest and digest mode and we're in that parasympathetic mode, what happens physiologically is our body sends a lot of blood circulation to the digestive system and to the reproductive organs. And so we're going to really talk deeply about the digestive system and then um, I hadn't really thought about this, but just as I'm saying it out loud, we'll, we'll chat a little bit about the reproductive organs and why that is so important to emotional alchemy and um, and to the processing of of our of our story, really. So, blood circulation to the digestive organs is important um, in Chinese medicine. We talk about the organs a lot. And a lot of our points that we needle on you as our patients, they fall on specific meridian lines that are associated with particular organs. And when we talk about organs in Chinese medicine, it's not just about the physiological organ, but there's an energetic spirit that goes with the organ as well. And in particular, the stomach is so, so important when it comes to alchemizing emotions. And the reason for that is the stomach is responsible for, on a physiological level, it takes food, which is external coded information from the outside world, and it brings it into the body. And then your body breaks it down into small enough pieces that it can then digest. And on an energetic level, your stomach has to do the same thing. Essentially, it's taking external coded information in the form of events or circumstances or traumas, and it's going to break it down and into small enough pieces that your, um, your psyche is then able to digest. And so what happens if we don't digest these events and circumstances? A lot of times people actually do develop, you know, stomach issues. And so oftentimes, you know, stomach ulcers and acid reflux, all this is associated with stress. And a lot of times we just um, write it off as stress without really, and so we, you know, we prescribe Prilosec for people who have acid reflux. And, and then we don't really have the conversation of like, why are you having acid reflux in the first place? And then if the answer is, oh, I'm just stressed, it's like, we don't actually help you break that down. And that's the stomach's role. If we don't digest on the stomach energetic level, we also develop addictions. And even with addictions, we have to keep asking ourselves why. Because if we don't ask ourselves why and we just address the addiction itself, that's just going to be a recipe for playing whack-a-mole with addictions. And so, you know, if, um, if you're somebody who struggles with alcohol and you're like, okay, so I'm just going to stop drinking 
wine and that's going to be the fix to my problem without actually addressing the underlying thing that you're having trouble digesting, um, then you might see other things pop up. And so that alcohol addiction might just get transferred into a shopping addiction or, you know, um, a coffee addiction or, you know, unhealthy relationships. And so a lot of times these addictions are a way to numb and not look at the big chunks of chaos and the big chunks of events and circumstances that we're really actually struggling with on a soul level. And so this is the importance of, of really um, checking in with the stomach if something big has happened in your life, really checking in with this organ that is going to help you um, break down this this challenge and break it down in such a way that you can actually assimilate and integrate it into your life. And I love this idea of um, of order and chaos in terms of food and in terms of, of how we view our circumstances because um, food is a very structured, ordered thing, right? And then when we bring it into the body, we're asking the body to digest it, which is then a very chaotic thing. And then when we integrate all those little food molecules into our body, it then also becomes another ordered thing. And so it's this this cycle, and it's it's so apparent in um, in yin yang theory. And I'll have to do a whole episode about yin yang thing or theory, I'm sure, at some point. But yin yang um, is about order and chaos. It's about the cycles of being able to move and shift through order and chaos in a way that is uh, both graceful and smooth and, and has a bit of purpose to it. One of the ways that, um, or actually one of the things that I really wanted to address um, in the podcast and one of my intentions with the podcast is to share tools and techniques with you. And the reason for that is that I, um, A, I, I hate the top 10 tips thing. We've already addressed that. Um, but I also, like, even if there is a patient with me and, um, you know, I get a really good picture of what their story is like. I think that the medicine is so much more powerful when you are involved in that solution. And in particular, if I can just help you um, clarify what's going on for you and you come up with the pieces that you need, I think that that is so much more empowering. Um, and I think it's something that is a bit missing in, in our medical system, um, both on the Western and the Eastern side. And so um, today I wanted to share some acupressure points and um, really help you because we're going to go through the digestive system. So we've talked about the stomach a bit and we're going to talk about the small intestine and the large intestine as well. Um, I, I want to send you home with 
um, some points to help you activate those particular organs so that if you're sitting here listening to this podcast and you're like, oh, like that stomach is really resonating with me, but the small intestine's not, then you have something that you can meditate with and that you can actually um, apply some acupressure to yourself to help that process along. So the, the point that I chose for the stomach meridian is actually not on the stomach meridian. It's on um, the midline of the body. It's the on the Ren channel. And uh, the way we locate this, this point is called middle duct. The way we locate this is if you put one hand on your belly button, and then the other hand, if you trace your rib cage all the way up to the middle of the sternum, and you find that little like dovetail where your sternum like hits your diaphragm, like where, you know, bone meets cartilage. Um, there's a bit of like a, um, a tender spot there. That's a great point as well, but that's not the one we're going to do. And if you can imagine a line between those two places between your fingers and go halfway between those lines, you're going to hit a point called middle duct. It's REN12 for, for acupuncturists who are out there. And you can also Google REN12, and, and I'm sure you can find some, some uh, pictures for location. But this point, I love supporting patients with this point when things get stuck in the body, the mind, and the spirit. And, you know, I love the poetic nature of Chinese medicine because in the name of the point, we get the function of it, right? So if you think about a duct, like in the middle of your body, where um, it's like that duct is supposed to be able to send things down to the small intestine quite easily, and that piece gets stuck, um, that would be a good place to, to needle. And so it's really when there's like a feeling of just stuckness and it feels like you've literally sat down for a Thanksgiving meal. And so this is really good for indigestion on the physical level, but it's also really excellent for, um, indigestion on the spirit level. So it's like if you've sat down at like the Thanksgiving meal of life experiences and you're just sort of having trouble processing and digesting um, what's just happened to you, this is a really good one to meditate with and, um, and, to, and to press. And um, I love um, accessing this. And, and something to note with, with all of the point locations is there's going to be a textbook description of the points, but always, always go back to your intuition. And so if you, if you find that midline point and you're like, oh, but if I sort of explore up and down along that trajectory a bit and, you know, just slightly above that midline feels more tender and feels juicier to me, then that's the point for you. And, um, I think it's really important to to get feedback from the body um, and everybody is a little bit different and so being able to really read and and feel for these tender points is is going to be part of the medicine so um the other reason why that is such a good point to needle or um to access and meditate and acupressure for yourself is that it's right over the vagus nerve and so the vagus nerve is involved in the sympathetic um, nervous system and, or sorry, the parasympathetic nervous system. And it's responsible for digestion. It really connects from the brainstem through the heart and lungs into the digestive system. 
and it really traces that line and connects all those different organs together and um and it activates that 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 nerve right there it just lies right along that path and so when we're in the parasympathetic state we're able to be more receptive we're able to digest things a little easier um and we're able to be I don't know, I'm sure there's a better way to say this, but I can't think of it right now, but it, you know, we're able to be a little bit more uh, yin about things, uh, to be on the receptivity side of ideas, of healing. Um, so it's a really good way to sort of physically activate that part of your parasympathetic nervous system. I think, um, sorry, I'm spending so much time on the stomach. I didn't realize I had so much to say about the stomach. Um, I think a really beautiful analogy I wanted to share as well is um, when I'm working with patients and they're really in this mushy space of not being able to digest, it's about really acknowledging and honoring that space as well. And so caterpillars, and you know, everyone's heard the, the sort of cheesy analogy of caterpillars metamorphosizing is that a word yes um, it, it's a word now um i'm going through metamorphosis into a butterfly so everybody knows that analogy right um but in the early 2000s i want to say researchers started uh doing mri scans of caterpillars after they've gone into the chrysalis and to me i'm thinking well isn't it obvious like you know caterpillar goes into a chrysalis and then it like you know, gets longer legs and then sprouts wings and voila, there's a butterfly. But what actually happens in the chrysalis stage is that the caterpillar breaks down into like caterpillar mush soup. So it breaks down its entire molecular structure and then restructures itself into a butterfly. So such a beautiful beautiful piece of nature that shows us that we go from order to chaos and back into order again. And it's just a natural part of the process. And so if we can remind ourselves when we're in that mushy stomach space, that really we're in that mushy space and it could be that we are in that, that chrysalis stage of caterpillar mushy soup. Um, and that's just a natural step in that process that needs to happen before we can emerge into what our next um, piece of our evolution, what our next piece of order is going to look like. So um, if you are a practitioner listening to this, I think something that I'd like to share is to not get lost in the how. If you take away anything out of this conversation, it's to also be asking why when it comes to your treatments. And so there is a particular treatment through the five elements tradition. And so if you're a five elements practitioner, you'll know what I'm talking about, but um, it's the treatment's called the internal dragons treatment. And it is for exactly this process where somebody has been through a big thing and they're really trying to process and they're having trouble processing. And I remember as I was going through school and all these points are on the stomach line, it's a series of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven points. 
And um, I remember going through school and asking the teachers, you know, why do we choose these particular points? And teachers just saying, this is just what we do. And so it was in that process of asking why that I started really getting interested in the stomach organ as an energetic spirit. And, um, and so if you're, if you're somebody in the healthcare field to never stop questioning, why do I do this thing? And, um, and to not get lost in the how just because your patient is asking you to fix them for you. So yeah, there's the stomach. I love the stomach. <laughs> um, the next organ along the reproductive tract is the small intestine. And the small intestine is the sorter of the body. And um, its job is to take the, the small pieces that the stomach has has uh, broken down for us and to take it into the actual physical organ and what the stomach does is it sorts out you know this is good and this is shit and it does it through these little like microvilli along the lining of the intestinal tract and in Chinese medicine the small intestine is also paired with the um, heart and so I find that when we have um, trouble sorting what is good for us and what is bad for us, we have a lot of trouble connecting to our heart. We have um, difficulty really clarifying what our heart needs, um, what is going to be healthy for our heart, um, what we even what our heart even wants us to do in this life. And so the small intestine is so, so important because it's going to take these big life circumstances that the stomach breaks down and then sort it down. And then it's going to take that distilled, clarified part and send it to the heart and be like, okay, so this is what our path is. And so that's what the small intestine is doing. And and that digestive and sorting process is going to look really different for everybody, right? And um, particularly, it's going to look different for people who have different elemental constitutions. And so, again, this is probably going to be a whole other podcast episode, but everybody has an expression of all five elements, wood, fire, earth, metal, and water within them. But Typically what I see in my patients is that there's one or two elements that are really, really strong. And so if you are, um, for example, if you are a woody type person, you have really strong, clear vision. Um, and if you have the strengths of the wood, you have really strong, clear vision. You've got lots of flexibility. Um, you're able to sort of move and shift with the winds. But then you might also get stuck, like, because the, um, the shadow side of wood is about anger. So you might get stuck in anger or frustration or like feeling really stagnant and, and sort of like not able to move. And that's really frustrating for a wood element type person. But with each of these constitutional pieces, um, you're going to distill what is um, most pure for your elemental constitution. And so, for example, if you're a wood person and you've gone through a difficult um, challenge, 
what's going to help you is if you can find purpose out of that particular challenge. So like this sort of thinking of like, you know, this had to happen so that I could do this, you know. Um, I had to get divorced so that I could really figure out what like a truly loving relationship is. I had to go through this particular event in my life, you know, um, so that I can share my gifts with the world, that sort of thinking. If you're a metal type person, um, you might be more drawn and distill out like, um, like a sense of justice or a sense of meaning, a connection with spirit um, when it comes to these big life experiences. If you are somebody who's a bit more of a fiery constitution, um, connection might be what you get out of that experience. If you're earthy, you might have to have a bit of um, justification for like the greater good, for the bigger community, like for the world, like that sort of thinking. And then um, water is going to be about moving through and transforming fear and scarcity. And again, these are all super, super generalized. And um, again, everybody's going to have their own experience and have their own story and meaning that comes out of this, right? So yes, um, the point that I chose for the small intestine is a point that is called upright branch. It's small intestine seven for those of you who want to Google the point location. Um, essentially, how we find it is um, the small intestine channel is going to run along, if you envision a line from the tip of your pinky, the outside tip of your pinky, all the way to the outside um, part of your elbow, like there's a little bone right there, um, but that line, right? And um, the point of reference is um, if you run your hand along the, the edge of your pinky um, all the way down to the base of the wrist um, and then envision that point to the tip of the elbow, it's gonna be, and again, this is by feel, it's gonna be about two thirds up towards the elbow. And so like when I run my finger along that line, I feel like there's like, like almost like a dip in the musculature um, and there's a bit of tenderness there. And that would be where the point is located. And again, I cannot stress this enough. It is more important to go by intuition rather than getting stuck in the perfectionism of finding particular points. Um, points are actually quite, quite large. Um, and, um, and yeah, listening to your body is so, so important when it comes to point location. So upright branch is about... Um, sorting when things get muddy and I like that uprightness sort of um, visualization because if there's muddiness there's not a clear path between the small intestine and the heart and it's about being able to stand true in our um, stand true and upright in our desires in our values in our beliefs 
Um, if you're feeling really strong in the small intestine, then you're not easily swayed by other people's opinions. Not to say that you can't be influenced by them, but I find that when, when there are people who are a little bit deficient in the small intestine organ or not very connected to their small intestine organ, it's like, oh, they think everybody's idea is a good idea and it's probably a better idea than, than what I could have thought of. And so there's an idea of like, oh, I'll just settle for that um, when it comes to the small intestine. And we've all had that friend who just seems to keep choosing that same shitty boyfriend over and over again, even if it's in like a different human form every time. Um, and, and that's about not being able to sort what is good for me and what's shit for me. And that's really um, a function of the small intestine. And then the large intestine is the last organ along the digestive tract. And so again, physiologically, what the large intestine is going to do is it's going to take the things that the stomach had broken down into small enough pieces for the small intestine to break down and then sort. All the absorption happens in the small intestine, by the way, right? Um, and so then the large intestine's job is really just to release. And it's just to keep letting go of the things that do not serve. And so um, I love to think about the large intestine as the great eliminator, but also it's connected, it's paired organ in Chinese medicine is the lung. And so when we have a strong connection between a large intestine and a lung, the large intestine lets go so that the lung can then take its next breath. And so there's this idea of we always have to keep letting things go in order for us to um, receive. And um, the point for this, um, and there's a pregnancy warning here, so please, 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 if you think you may be pregnant, if there's any potential of you being pregnant, this is not the one to, to acupressure a needle on yourself. Um, it's, it's a little bit disconcerting to me that like people um, will, will just sort of like routinely tell folks to, to, to push on this point when they have a headache without really thinking about like this could actually um, cause uterine contractions. But um, the point is located, it's large intestine four, and it's located um, in that junction between your thumb and your forefinger in that sort of meaty place where the two bones um, meet. And there's definitely a sore spot. It feels, um, in myself and also in my patients, um, it feels less like a hole, like small intestine seven did, and more like, like, a, like a really tender bump in that in that space and um and one of the things that I'm, you're gonna get sick of hearing from me is to just keep listening to your body right um so it is the great eliminator it is um the name of it is joining of the valleys and in chinese uh symbology valleys are a symbol for emptiness and again, it's that idea that Eckhart Tolle was talking about in that tapestry of emptiness can be, um, can be a spaciousness or it can be um, like scarcity. 
And so it really is like glass half empty or half full sort of situation. So can we look at this this elimination process? Can we look at a letting go process as the ability to create space and as the ability to create spaciousness rather than um, feeling like there's like an emptiness or a hollowness that comes with letting go? Um, one of the, the last little pieces that I wanted to, to sort of wrap up our conversation with is um, going back to the alchemy of emotions and stories. And I was chatting with a close, close friend who is a musician, and he was sharing with me that his guitar sounds like, is it sounds different from any other guitar on this planet. And I was like, that can't possibly be true. And um, he's like, no, really, like, even if my guitar comes from the same factory, from the same, you know, manufacturing line, from the same artisan, from the same, even down to the same tree, it's going to sound different from the, the guitar that was made from the same exact circumstances. And the reason for that is guitars are... Um, are just, um, they're a product of nature, and then they also absorb nature around them. And so the wood is going to feel different and pick up different things if it lived in the Pacific Northwest versus in the desert in Arizona. It's going to pick up moisture in a different way. It's going to carry sound in a different way. And so... Each guitar has its own story that it is telling through its sound, and it's really explaining, I guess explaining is not the right word, but it's really in the voice of the guitar, we get to actually see what its life was like. And I thought it was just so beautiful that musicians understand this about their instruments. They understand that there is a nuanced story that every instrument is trying to tell us that each guitar has a different voice. It has a different sound than every other guitar on this planet. And that's one of the beautiful things that I think um, I, I want to really share with this community here is that each of you is an individual and your bodies are trying to share a particular story. And so when we look at signs and symptoms, to not think of them as, you know, things that we need to um, overcome or, you know, things that we need to mute or shut down. Really, when we look at signs and symptoms coming from the body, it's really your body trying to share the circumstances and really communicate what its life experience was like. It is the storyteller of your life. And um, when we are, if you're a practitioner, if you're sitting down and, and sitting with a patient, if you can listen to that patient with the same ear that a musician is going to have for a guitar, um, I think you can do a huge, huge service to your community. And one of the things that I think is valuable and um, 
and really important to understand is that when we sit and listen to someone's story without trying to fix it or make them, you know, feel better, um, even if it's just for a temporary amount of time, really, when we're doing that, we're not acknowledging the entire story. And it's hard to do this because when I sit with you in your darkness and in your shadows, then I have to actually sit with that same darkness and shadow that I have in my own life. And the more and more we're able to do this as a collective, the more and more we're able to hold space for each other. Because when I sit with you in your shadows, it's because I've had the opportunity to sit with my own shadow and, um, and to really alchemize that for myself. And that's why I'm able to sit and, and, and listen to your story without trying to quote unquote fix you. Right. So that's something to, I think land on as we talk about um, alchemizing emotions, as we talk about um, working on integrating our stories is that there is going to be a heaviness and a stickiness. That's an absolute given. Like we cannot avoid that heaviness and stickiness. But on the other side of that mushy, heavy stickiness, there is clarity. And, um, and there is lightness and um, healing and integration and that's really what we're what we're striving for um, but we have to give our bodies and our spirits the ability to sort of sit with that heaviness and be in that mushy space um, for us to get to that place so that is all I wanted to share with you um, Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Empowered Curiosity Podcast. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure you screenshot, post, and tag me on Instagram so we can keep the conversation going. And to get notified when the next episode drops, make sure to subscribe on iTunes so you never miss one of our chats.